right. Amen to that. I am glad to be here worshiping with you guys uh, today. I hope that you guys are doing well at home, that you guys find your Sunday beautiful. I got a good word for you, and I hope that you guys are blessed and receive it well. We are in a series called Wounded Healers. It's a series that's actually very near and dear to my heart because it talks about getting the people of God, motivating the people of God to become healers, to become people who minister into the life of someone else, right? And the reason why we call it Wounded Healers because whether you know it or not, the church is filled with imperfect people. I know, shocking, right? And these imperfect people are the very people that God uses to bring healing to other people. How? Because God takes these imperfect souls, these afflicted souls, these souls who have a past, these souls who've been hurt, these souls who have personal sufferings, He takes them, He heals them, He transforms them, He walks them through the journey of life, and in doing so, He heals them slowly. And in healing them, He makes them into people who can bring healing to others. That's the heart behind wounded healers. Right? And that's what the series is about, you know. Um, and if you our, our, our church's vision is love God, love people, serve the world. That's really what we're here to do. We're here to minister to other people. That if you are a son and daughter of TLC, if you are a Christian and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to realize and you have to know that your life does not exist in and of itself. Your life is meant to be a ministry to others. You are meant to minister to other people. Right? And so that's, that's a real big question I want to start today with or just kind of jog your mind hit is have you been living your life in such a way where you are seeking to minister to others? Because when people hear the word ministry, they're thinking about church, they're thinking about pastors, missionaries, church planners, all that, you know, upper echelon, quote-unquote, stuff, right? No, ministry is just about you as a person ministering, caring, nurturing, helping someone else flourish in their life. You are called as a Christian to minister. And so this series is about Wounded Healers. And I hope that as we journey through the series, you will be inspired, you will be convicted, and you will go out into the world to do just that. Become a wounded healer. All right, so we are in the book of 2 Corinthians. It's the letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinthians. Let me give you a quick background just so um, by way of context. Again, Paul was the founding church of founding pastor of this church in the city of Corinth. And the city of Corinth is like the modern day New York, LA, Hollywood, Chicago. It's like the kind of place you go. It's like die, um, you go there to uh, get rich or die trying. Right? You go there because it's where the populace is at. You go there because that's where the money is at. And there's a lot of different people in those big cities. right? And so Corinth is one of those big cities that you go in. And so Paul's ministry is always to go into these big cities because they're like the cultural hub for the rest of the world. If you win the city, you win the rest of the areas around that city. Okay? So Paul was the founding pastor at this church. He came there. He laid the foundation. It was good. It was beautiful. And then he moved on to plant other churches. Okay? But as he moved on, he found out through letters, through um, 
uh, people sharing that the church in Corinth has gotten into a lot of problems. They got into issues of sexual immorality. There's division in the church. There's these things about who has power, who doesn't have power, who's really in it, who's really not in it. So there's, there's this hierarchy issue that's going on in the church. There's um, idol worship that's going on in the church. There was a lot of problems going on in the church. So Paul, being the founding pastor, what does he do? He writes them the letter, 1 Corinthians, to address a lot of these problems, to correct the problems in the church. Now, the thing was, that letter was not received well by a lot of people in the church because they, they thought about that. And they're like, you know what, Paul, I know he's the founding pastor and anything, but this guy, he's, he's not much of anybody. He, he, he's, not, he's not well known. He's, uh, he doesn't have authority when he speaks. He doesn't have, uh, he does, he's not commanding. He's not much of a leader. He's not a very formative person. He's just, he's just this old bow-legged dude. And so why should we take him seriously? Okay. And so they, they rejected Paul's correction. And in rejection, Paul says, okay, then let me go visit you. So he, he decides to up and go visits this church. And when he visits this church, it ended up being a very painful visit. There was like a lot of back and forth, a lot of drama that was going on. And he just said, okay, I'm going to leave. Right. And as he left, he wrote a letter. Now, we don't have that letter, but he wrote a letter to the church. And whatever he wrote in this letter was pretty much like the holy smackdown. It, he, he wrote something that was so personal, so, so gut-wrenching, so convicting that it literally broke the, the heart of the people in the church of Corinth. That's how like crazy it was, right? And they realized how wrong they were. They realized how, what they've done in, in rejecting Paul. And they just felt really awful about that, okay? And in hearing that, what does Paul do? Paul writes this letter, the letter of 2 Corinthians, where he writes to them and tells them, hey, 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 I still love you, right? I'm still for you. I, let me teach you what it means to truly minister to people. Let, let's, let's get rid of all this drama. Let's get, let's, let's get past all of this hurt and this pain and let's get into the heart of what it means to be a minister to people. And this is where we find the heart of 2 Corinthians, the glory of ministry, right? The glory of ministering to people, okay? And he's telling them, I'm committed to you. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to take care of you, right? I am for you. That's Paul's heart for the church, okay? So today, we're getting into the part of the letter where Paul speaks about the markers of a healer, okay? We're going to look at Paul. We're going to see just kind of like his little narrative of what happened to him. And we're going to recognize from this narrative the identifying markers of those who minister to, those, to other people. So the question I'm going to ask is this. What are the identifying markers of those who minister to others? To put it another way, what are the distinguishing features for those who give their life in service to others? Or to put it another way, what are the unique characteristics that we are to see in our lives as we seek to minister to those around us? You guys following me? Right? I want to help identify the distinguishing markers that helps you know what it takes to be a minister to other people. What are the distinguishing marks of those who give their lives for others? You guys ready? All right, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12. 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 verses 12. We're going to read from 12 to 13 first. And this is, and this is where we're going to get to the first part. Okay, The first identifying marker, the first unique characteristic, the first distinguishing features of someone who gives their lives for another, of someone who is a minister to another person. This is the first distinguishing mark. And it is those who minister are marked by love. Those who minister are marked by love. What we're going to see here in verse 12 to 13 is Paul explained to them how anxious and how nervous he was about their condition and their situation. So much so that he was willing to give up a prime opportunity to do his work. He gave that up just to make sure they were okay. All right? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. Check this out. Now, when I went to Choras to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Okay. So what, what was happening here? See, when he got to Troas, right? So let me, let me try to like in my hands show you the, the locate, geographical location. So Corinth was down here at the, at, the, at the tip of Italy, right down here. And he was over here. Paul was over here somewhere. Okay. And when he got there, he was wondering, okay, how are they doing? Because he went to this kind of route up to this place. He was wondering, how are they doing? He sent his buddy uh, Titus to deliver that letter to the church. And he's like, oh, I wonder how they're doing. And he, he was supposed to meet Titus at Troas, but Titus wasn't there. And so he decided, I'm going to go halfway down because I know that Titus is going to go halfway up and meet him in Macedonia just to make sure I find out how the church of Corinth was doing. See, when Paul got to Troas, he had the opportunity to preach the gospel. Paul said the door was wide open for him to preach it. God kind of opened the door so that he can preach the message. It's like this. It's like those of you guys have been to missions, you guys know, you guys know this feeling, right? When you go to missions, you got to think about like, okay, how am I going to be like, be able to get someone, people together? And uh, how am I going to get them excited enough and kind of get their attention and then eventually preach the gospel to them? You're always thinking about those things. Paul was saying, I didn't have that problem because literally they were all there basically asking me, Paul, tell us about Jesus Christ. You know how easy, that's pretty much an open door. You just have to literally mention the name, right? Or start talking about Jesus. And that was Paul's opportunity. He could have easily done that. It was so easy for him. Open door, open door, open opportunity to do this work. But Paul was uneasy. He was anxious. He had no peace of mind, the Bible says, as he was waiting for Titus. Because Titus was the one who brought that rebuking letter to the church of Corinth. And he's waiting to see the result of what that letter brought. And he's like, oh man, what, how did they take it? What were they thinking about it? And this is a painful letter. I hope that it, 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 it did its job, you know, and I'm wondering how they are. All right? And I wonder how, what's the condition of them. And so because he didn't see him here, he said, you know what, guys, as much as I want to do this, I have to go meet Titus. And so he left a prime opportunity to go and find Titus just to find out how his people were doing. He left a prime opportunity to, to check how his people were doing. You know why he did that? Because the distinguishing mark of those who minister 
is because they are marked by love. They are marked by... Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He had authority, but his life was marked by a love for his congregation. It wasn't marked by opportunities. He put people before agenda. He put people before programs. He put people before even, even here. The Lord had opened the door for me. He, op he put people before an opportunity that he saw God give to him to do this work. Why? Because his life was marked by love. People first. People first. You see, church, what does it look like to have the distinguishing mark, the identifying marks of those who minister? Right? Is your life marked by love? Is it people before the agenda? Is it people before the programs? Is it people before own personal opportunities? Is it people before anything else? Is your heart moved for people? Right? When you minister to another person, when you, when you share, when, when you live your life with somebody else, often, or in the church, oftentimes we can get into this habit of this program, that program, this ministry, that ministry. We can get lost in that whole entire aspect of, you know, Monday is this, Friday is this, Wednesday is this, Sunday is this, Saturday is this. We can get lost into that whole entire program, right? But at the heart, what drives you is it still people? Are you still anxious about their spiritual condition? Are you praying for them specifically because you worry about what's going on in their life? Are you seeking for their well-being? Are you, are, you, are you fighting the good fight for them? That's what it means to be marked by love. Right? I remember a... Um, I remember uh, a, a, a documentary that I saw about this guy named Eugene uh, Peterson. He's a, he's a pastor, and he, he was the one who wrote the Message Bible. He wrote a lot of books, but he wrote the Message Bible, which is the translation of the Bible, the MSG, right? MSG, the Message Bible. And this, the documentary Bible was so, it was so beautiful because this is what he said in the documentary. This guy, Eugene Peterson, he was a genius. He was a smart guy. He, he was... If he finished his PhD, he would have been given the opportunity to teach at like, you know, really well-known seminaries. Like he, he is top of the line type of brain kind of dude, you know, like a theologian kind of man. And this is what happened. He took a stint and he pastored a church. And when he was at that church, he finally said, no, no more. This is it. I'm going to spend my life here with the people. I'm going to spend my life here ministering to my people. Do you know why he wrote the Message Bible? It wasn't because he had nothing else to do with his life. He wrote the Message Bible because he wanted to write the Bible in a vernacular that his people would understand, but at the same time, stay true to the original language. You know how smart you have to be? You have to know the original language, which is Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew. You have to know the original language and then take that language and transfer laid it into a way that people understand without losing the, the, the meaning of the translation. That is a very, very hard thing to do. And yet he did that. And the reason why he did that 
Because he said this, I wanted my people to read the Bible in a way that they understood. He did it for love. It was love that drove him. It was love that motivated him. It was love that he put before anything else. Love for his people. What is the distinguishing identifying markers of those who minister to others? They are marked by love. The second marker, verse 14, right? Verse 14, they are marked by Christ. Marked in Christ, actually. They are marked in Christ. Let me, let me show you with this uh, verse, verse 14, just the first half of verse 14. It says this, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphant procession in Christ. Right? Let me read that again. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Now, what does this mean? Okay, the, the phrase triumphal procession, it is a military term used when a Roman general has conquered his rebel nations and now he is entering the city with the rebels tied down, defeated, and he's walking into triumph. And like the, the confetti is being pulled and everyone's cheering. And he is the triumphant, triumph, triumphant general who's receiving the accolades at the, at, at the, um, by defeating all of these rebels, right? And Paul uses this phrase only two times in, in his uh, writings of the Old New Testament. It only shows up two times. One is in this part. The second time it showed up was in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. And in that time, the God triumphed over, Paul says, the rulers and the authorities. Meaning, God triumphed over Satan and his dominion. So Paul is saying, and what Paul is trying to allude here is, like Satan and his dominion, I and the human race were rebels. And Christ came and he basically triumphed over us, defeated the rebels, and now leading this victory march with all the rebels bounded, walking, heads down as the general shows the whole world, I have triumphed, right? But the only difference between that passage and this passage is this word. The word is, but thanks, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphant procession in Christ. The difference between Satan's domin uh, uh, Jesus' dominance over Satan and his dominions versus Jesus' dominance over Paul was that in Christ, he was brought to faith. He was forgiven. He was justified. He was made glad now to be a willing servant. See, Satan and his dominions didn't have a savior to redeem them, to restore them. But Paul is saying, Yes, I was a rebel against God and he is leading me in this procession, but it's not the procession of defeated rebels. I am walking in a procession of one who has been freed, who has been justified, who has been forgiven, and now I walk following the general as a willing servant to his kingdom. And so Paul is saying, my life now is marked in Christ. My life now is marked in service to Christ. 
the greatest general who ever was. And in the same way, for us to be marked in Christ, it means to it means that we recognize that we are now servants of the one who has conquered us. We are now servants of the one who has conquered us and freed us, who has defeated the sin that has held us and now has forgiven us and set us in a place that says, now you are a son of mine. Now you belong to my kingdom. Now you belong to me. You belong to me in Christ. And so go and serve me. A marker for those who bring healing, a marker for those who are ministering to others is the willingness to serve him. All right? We are marked in Christ. And I'm not just talking about like church service here. I'm not talking about like serving at the church or doing the church stuff. You know, if, if there's a need in the church, and you're able to fill that need, right? That's a given. You should come and fill it because if you're part of the church family and you're part of the, the, the household of God, right? You should participate. You should help. You should serve in the house, right? It's, 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 it's like um, if, you were, if you were a guest in my house, you would not be expected to wash the dishes, right? But Seth being a son of my house is expected to wash the dishes, okay? Because he's family. He's in the home, right? In the same way, if we're a guest, we're not expecting anything in the house of God. But if we are family, then service to God is, in the church, expected. That's not what service to God here is, is talking about. The service that I'm talking about here is this. is Do you recognize God's assignment, specific assignment, to your life? When you are marked in Christ, do you recognize God's specific assignment to your life? And, and are you willing to say yes to him in that assignment when he asks of you, right? Service to him is you sitting back and asking the question, I am now a son and daughter of the living God. I have been gifted with the Holy Spirit working in me, gifted with spiritual gifts that I don't know yet. Maybe I need to figure it out. But there's an assignment for me in this world. Have you... As a member, as a person, as a Christian, as a believer, have you recognized your assignment by God? That you, your, your role, your part in His kingdom building, have you recognized that? And some of you guys said, no, not really. I haven't recognized anything. Okay, I, 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 don't, I don't really know what my assignment is. Can I, can I tell you how you can figure it out? The reason sometimes we don't know our assignment yet is because in our heart, we haven't developed the habit of saying yes to God yet. We haven't developed the habit of saying yes when God asks of us of something small. See, we're waiting for the, the, the big things to happen. We're waiting for like the big call, we're waiting for like the, 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 the loud voices. But God, He simply calls us to smaller obedience first. Are you willing to show up to Bible study? Are you willing to take your time out and show up to a men's group or a women's group? Maybe you don't think you need it, but maybe you can show up to support and be there. Have you decided to actually witness to people and evangelize? Are you willing to do discipleship with another person? Are you willing to teach? See, these small yeses, 
These small yeses, these small moments of obedience leads up to the moment we recognize our assignments from God. Those who minister, the distinguishing mark, the distinguishing marker, identifying marker of those who minister is that they are marked in Christ. It means that they are now in service to God. You're not in service to anything else. You guys realize that? Your job, your relationship, your family, that's not what you're in service to. You're in service to Christ for them, yes, right? But it's to Christ first. And the question that I have is your life, church, your life, brothers and sisters, have you recognized your assignment by God? And if you haven't, it could be, it could be that you have spent a big chunk of your life saying no to God in the smaller areas. And the more you say no to God, this is what happens, the more you say no to God when He calls you into small obedience is your heart begins to get hardened more and more. It begins, it begins to get easier to say no. And so if you're saying no to the small thing, how can God reveal to you your assignment? And how can you be faithful to it? Right? Let me tell you the truth. If you're not faithful to the small things, you're not going to be faithful to the big things. Are you willing to tithe your paycheck? Yes or no? If it's a continual no, guess what? You're not going to say yes later, guys. It doesn't work that way. Are you willing to invest your life in the life of younger people? No. Guess what? You're not going to do it later. There's always going to be something happening. The identifying marker of those who minister is that they are marked in Christ. They are in this triumphant, triumphant procession in Christ saying, Lord, he is my general, he is my leader. Where he goes, I will follow. What he assigns to me, I will do. Before he even assigns it, in my mind, it's always a yes. It's never a no. That's what it means to be marked in Christ. Right? I remember hearing a story about, a, uh, about this guy. He was called into ministry. Right? But he was not the type of guy who, 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 uh, who preaches very well. He's kind of shy in front of people. He's not like the people person kind of guy. And he's, he really can't preach uh, a public speak very well. And he went to, well, he, he tried his best to be obedient. So he went to a Bible school. And in that Bible school, he, got, he found a, um, a job working with a Christian musician that was actually pretty cool. And he, he was actually pretty good at it. So he's like, oh, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And he starts walking down that path and doing this music thing. And he thought, oh, I'm great. I'm doing this spiritual thing. I'm still doing God's work in this field of music. Right? And then, story goes, he was, uh, he was at a, a cemetery. And he was walking. I mean, I think he was, he was visiting his, uh, his wife's. Or his girlfriend's cemetery, or uh, not his girlfriend, his wife's uh, grandparents' cemetery, or something like that. He was visiting, and then he saw this one gravestone, like it was like seventeen eighty something, right? And he realized no one knows who this person is. No one knows. There's no grand grand grandkids or great grandkids alive who probably know who this person is anymore, right? The only one who knows this person's life is God. The only one who knows the legacy of this person is God. And the question is, did this person live with a legacy of following after 
God's assignment. And when he saw that, he realized as much as as spiritual and as easy it was for me to do this thing, I was called on this assignment. I was called to do this. And so what did he do? He walked away from this and he moved towards this. I think his name was Jeff Christopherson, right? I think he's, a, he's an author. I think I was reading him somewhere and the story just kind of clicked to my brain, right? But he moved towards this. He became a prolific writer. He became a pastor. He did what he was supposed to do. He became a kingdom moving person because he was willing to obey God's assignment to him. He was willing to say yes to it. That's what it means to be marked in Christ. Church, it's not just about doing spiritual things. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not definitely telling you that the only way that you're marked in Christ is you have to do something like ministry related, like, you know, in the church or pastoring or missionary. God can have a calling for you in the business field, in the law field, in the medical field, in whatever field it is. But if he has an assignment for you, my prayer is that you are actually following that assignment. He may have an assignment for you in the media field. If that's the case, then follow that assignment. And stop thinking that the only spiritual thing you can do is things that you have to do at church. Right? That's my call. Hey, I fought that call, but here I am. Right? You may have a different assignment. And my prayer that if you are marked in Christ, you will not walk away from that. And it's simple. Just start saying yes to small things. Say yes to God towards the small things that helps develop you. And when you're ready, he will call you to the bigger things. Amen? Amen. So what are the distinguishing, what are the identifying markers of those who minister to others? One, they are marked by love. Two, they are marked in Christ. Three, look at verse 14b to 16. Check this out. And through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one who are to the to the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? What is the third distinguishing or identifying marker of those who minister to others? They are marked by sacrifice. They are marked by love. They are marked by uh in Christ, and they are marked by sacrifice. See, Paul's sacrifice was a pleasing fragrance to God. Okay, look at his life. He, he saw his life. He pictured his life as what? In Christ and through us spread everywhere in the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ. Okay, so check this out. Paul says we are to God first and foremost the aroma of Christ. It wasn't... We are to other people the aroma of Christ. We are to God first the aroma of Christ. What does, that, what does Paul mean by that? He means this. When God looks at Paul's life, a life of sacrifice, a life like Christ, who gave his life up for the glory and for the kingdom and for the sacrifice of others, for others, that right there was a pleasing aroma to God. In other words, when we suffer in our ministry, when we suffer in the things that we do in service to others for the sake of Christ, in the service of Christ, God looks at that and he says, that is pleasing to me. Right? It means that you understand where I'm leading you. It means that you understand the heart of a minister. 
that you understand the heart of someone who ministers to another, to nurture another, it means that you have to sacrifice for them. You cannot nurture a soul and not sacrifice at least your time, your energy, your money, your heart, right? It's impossible. It's impossible to give and to nourish and to flourish somebody without a sense of sacrifice. You know that because Christ couldn't save us without sacrificing himself. And the Bible says Christ's sacrifice was a pleasing aroma to God. And in the same way, Paul's life in service to Christ was a pleasing aroma to God. Right? So what does that mean for us? It means this. When we live marked by sacrifice, we are a fragrance that is pleasing to God. So don't count yourself, don't count your sacrifice as useless or meaningless. Don't count what you do behind closed doors when no one is seeing. When you feel like you're being cheated, when you feel like you're being manipulated, when you feel like you're being taken advantage of, do not count your sacrifice as useless or meaningless because why? God sees it as a fragrance to Him. Don't count the nights when you're up hours and hours counseling someone at the cost of your own time and your own work schedule as useless. Because those moments when you have poured your energy, poured your time into the life of another, that is not a useless moment. That was pleasing to God. That was a fragrance that was pleasing to Him. In the same way, don't count the endless months when you look at your bank account and realize you're about to break exactly even each month in service to others. Don't count that as useless. Don't count that as, as, um, as, as foolish. Because in your sacrifice, even when it comes to your bank account, that is a pleasing fragrance to God. Don't count the never-ending research, learning, and reading you have to do in order to help teach someone the Word of God as useless because in those moments when you're just trying your best to figure out what the passage is saying, when you're online and you're reading up on what the answer to this you know, Jesus question is, when you're doing that, when you're spending that time because you love them so much that you want to give them an answer to their question, you want to find that answer to their question, don't count that as useless because that is a pleasing fragrance to God. Your sacrifice, your life of sacrifice, your habitual sacrifice, not the one, one and done kind of deal here, I'm talking about the habitual sacrifice of your life, the habit of it, is a pleasing aroma to God. It is in those very quiet moments, church, that your suffering and service to God is the most pleasing fragrance to God. You guys follow me? I need you to understand that. Because a lot of times we give up in serving others. We give up in caring for others because we feel like it's waste of our time. We give like it's useless. We feel like we're being cheated, manipulated. We feel like we're being taken advantage of. Don't. Your practice of habitual sacrifice, of giving your heart, your energy, your time, your money, is in those moments that God says, you get it. You get what my son has done for you. Because you, you can't sacrifice for another person unless you you understand Christ's sacrifice for you. If He's willing to die for you, to save you from eternal damnation, 
how grateful is a soul that has been that has gone through that process now when they look at another soul. When they look at someone else and said, man, because of what he's done for me, let me pour this life out for you. See, the more we understand that, the more this can happen. See, when you lose this, that's when you start complaining and whining about this. But let me, let me, let me caveat that with what Paul says next, because Paul says what? Sometimes you win, though, and sometimes you lose. Right? Sometimes in your sacrifice and nurturing and, fl- and caring for others, there are times when you win and there are times when you lose. Some people will look at us and just be totally turned off. And as much as you give unto them, they're just going to be like, ah, oh, nope, I'm not having it. Goodbye. Right? But there are people who do see it and are transformed, who senses the aroma, who senses the fragrance of Christ in you and is drawn to your Lord. We're like... Um, we're like durian, right? That's a bad example, but we're like durian. Some people love durian. They're like, this is the king of the fruits. How can you not love this mug, right? And they'll eat that like no other. But then some people, the fragrance of durian is just death to them. And the moment they get a whiff of it, it's like they run out the door, okay? We're just like durian. There are times, church, check this out, when... Your life of sacrifice, your life expressing Christ to others, living for the sake of others in Christ, in service to Christ, it's going to be, people are just going to receive it. And they're going to, they want to learn, they want to grow, they're going to be with you. There are other times people are going to run from you. You can't help it. It's not your fault, right? But it doesn't mean you stop. Paul is saying, you don't stop. You're going to see people who are going to draw to you, draw, not to you, to the aroma of Christ in you. There are going to be people who are going to run from you. And there are days when you will win some and there are days when you will lose some. But that does not stop us from constantly seeking to live our life with a habit of sacrifice to others. You follow me? Right? What are the identifying markers of those who minister to others? They are marked by love. They are marked in Christ. They are marked by sacrifice. You get me? Here's the last one right here. <clears throat> the last marker. Verse 16b to 17. It says this. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak. Before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Right? They are marked by commitment. The, the, the identifying markers of those who minister to others are marked by commitment. Right? So he, Paul asks the question who is equal to such a task? Who can love? Who could be marked in love in such a way? Who can be marked in Christ in such a way in their service to Christ, abandoning everything else in service to Christ in such a way? Who can be marked by sacrifice in such a way? Paul's saying nobody. Nobody can do that in and of themselves. But by the grace of God, we can. And by the grace of God, you're able to. And these are, uh, he, he, he mentions five things here. In this, last, in this last verse, verse 17, which I'm going to mark to you as questions. 
And this is how you know, if you answer yes to these questions, if you answer yes to these questions, that's how you know you are marked by commitment. Because you're willing, you're willing to love by the grace of God. You're willing to be marked in Christ by the grace of God. You are willing to be marked by sacrifice by the grace of God. And you're willing to be marked by commitment by the grace of God. These are the five questions, right? Do you treasure Christ enough so that you do not water down His Word and use it to gain some advantage like money? Paul says what? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the Word of God for profit. Do you, church, treasure Christ enough so that you do not water down His Word and use His Word for your own ulterior motive. Maybe you don't use His Word to gain money out of it. Maybe you're not a prosperity preacher or a prosperity teacher, but you could use your word, His Word to get a girlfriend, trying to convince her that you're holy. You can use His Word, right, to convince everyone else that you are an upstanding person. That's using it for your profit. So the question Paul is saying is, who is able, who is competent enough to take on the responsibility of ministering. It's those who are willing, who, who are not going to compromise God's word and use it for their own personal ulterior motive. Do you treasure Christ that way, church? Second question, will you speak from sincerity? Meaning this, will you be real about God's word? Will you mean what you say? Will you actually renounce all pretenses and stop making excuses and stop being a hypocrite? Saying one thing but doing another? Right? Will you speak from sincerity? Third question, will you speak as from God? Right? Look, look what he says. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity. Right? Will you speak as if from God? Meaning this, it means that will you speak his word, not your own word? Would you be someone who speaks with his authority, not your own authority? Would you be someone who speaks with his wisdom, not your wisdom? Right? It's great, church, when you offer wisdom that you've experienced in life to people. Right? But life wisdom does not match God's wisdom. Are you willing to take life's wisdom and complement it with the foundational wisdom that comes from God? Will you speak in such a way where the authority is not in what other people say and what's in what is um, politically correct of the time or what is good for now, but your authority and what you base your life, your choices, your direction on, will it be from God? Will you speak as from God? Right? I have a... a Evan and I, we've been, uh, we've been talking to a brother in our church. He's been uh, emailing us questions about just everything, about like homosexuality, about the political process, about like abortion, it, about a lot of different aspects here. And every time when we um, answer him back, the one thing that we keep doing is like, it's not from my ability. I have no wisdom in this. Let me share with you what God says. And from there, we'll find a way forward, right? using that as our authority, not our own mind, okay? Fourth question, will you speak as before God? 
Would you speak as if you are before God? Meaning when you are willing to speak to others, when you're willing to nurture, are you willing to care more about what he says about you than what others say about you? As if he was there himself. Would you live to care more about what he thinks of you and assess from you rather than being... Um, rather than caring so much about what other people are saying about you? What's more important? Do you fear man or do you fear God? Sometimes in our politically correct atmosphere, we want to keep our faith private. We want to keep ourselves private because we're afraid of the criticism we'll get from other people out there. We're afraid of being criticized by that. And we sometimes we make choices that is contrary to God's word so that people would actually find this acceptable and pleasing. And Paul says, I speak as if I am before God. Meaning what I say, I care only upon what God assessed for me, no one else. And as long as I speak from his word, I have no fear. Will you speak as in Christ? Meaning this, will you get your identity and your assurance and your confidence and your hope and your courage from your union with Christ? If the answer to these questions is yes, then you're ready. Then you are by all account equal to such a task. So church, I'm praying. My hope is that we stop making excuses for why we can't. And we start asking the question, God, turn me into a healer. Someone who is marked by love. Someone that is marked in you, in Christ. Someone who is marked by sacrifice. And someone who is marked by commitment. Teach that to me, oh God. Transform me into that. It's time, don't you think, church? Right? It's time to stop just going through the motion of church, of religiosity, and start living it out to the world around you. Let's pray.